Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Spring Washam is somebody that I actually quoted on stage at Wisdom 2.0 in 2017. And if you were in her presence, there is an effervescent that flows from her. She is a meditation teacher. She started the East Bay Meditation Society with others and really is a pioneer in bringing mindfulness-based healing practices to diverse communities. And I find this conversation to be one that is so sweet, but fierce, no pun intended. Her book is called A Fierce Heart because there are these, these jewels in this conversation. And my favorite is that I asked her a question in these hard times, what do we do? And she said something that I was not expecting her to say. And you'll just have to listen to the whole conversation. But I'm so excited to really bring to you someone that I admire deeply, Spring Washam. Spring Washam, I'm so excited to have you join us and to be able to be in connection with you for the Sidewalk Talk podcast today. And I have to tell you a funny story. I was sitting in bed reading A Fierce Heart all morning. Made my day really, really good. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so touching. It's really an honor. Thank you. So I want to share with you my experience. When I read A Fierce Heart, the only Buddhist teacher that I've ever read that had the impact on me the way this book did was Thich Nhat Hanh. And I'm going to tell you why. It felt to me like you had lips on your heart and the words came right out of there and then went right into my heart. Oh, Tracy, this is so, thank you for these kind words. It means so much and it really inspires me. Well, it's, I'm not trying to dutzel you, as I say in German. It really did feel like there is a way in which your storytelling was so devoid of ego and that you were transmitting a sense of the, the jewel inside of each person and like sort of igniting something. So I wanted to hear like, what inspired you to take all of your years of practice and put it into a book? Hmm, that's a great question. I think one of the things that really inspired me, um, and as we were talking offline about our community in Oakland, the East Bay Meditation Center, and years of talking to people, listening to people, and it felt like to me there was a need for a new kind of Dharma book, mm-hmm. a book that could talk about our life experiences in real time, the, the joys, the sorrows, the triumphs, the suffering, and, um, and weave the Dharma. So it was, it was meant to be a really an introductory book to the, the whole Dharma world, the Buddhist philosophy and and even more general than that, just meditation and the practices of the heart. 
And then over time, it became more biographical. I didn't intend it to be that way, but I think at the end of the day, your, your stories are the stories of our people. And I think it's important to share them. And uh, so, so it was really about trying to offer something, uh, an entry point into these teachings, something accessible for a more diverse audience. So you're bringing up diversity, and I've certainly been to Buddhist meditation retreats, and you don't see a lot of diversity at these retreats, yeah. and you tell a story about this in your book. Tell us how you found your place in Buddhism as you sort of enter in and, and, and take on this practice. How did you find your place? Well, it was really challenging, I think, in the early days. There was an initial phase where I sort of met the Dharma and fell in love with it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to follow these teachings to the end. And I met my teacher, Jack Cornfield, and it felt like, okay, this is my path. I'm going to live a spiritually based life. And this, this is so inspiring. And I had all this kind of zeal and gusto. But then what happened was when I started joining a community, a lot of doubt and sorrow started to come up mm -hmm. because I would leave my colorful community in Oakland, Oakland, California, for those of you who know that area is very bright and colorful, very diverse. And I would go off on these long retreats and I'd be the only person of color and I'd be the only young person. And I did start to feel this sadness arising in me. And it took me a few years to figure out what that was about. And I started to have doubts, like, is this the right path for me? Can I do this? And it wasn't about that the teachers or the community was doing anything wrong. It's just that I felt excluded. The talks were coming from a certain perspective. The community was coming from a certain perspective. And I didn't quite fit in. And it left me with a lot of doubts and sadness. Like, can I continue on this path alone in this way? Or do I have to leave my community behind, my culture, my music, my, you know? So uh, that was a big turning point when I realized, you know what, I want to create a different kind of community, one that reflects my family, right? That looks like my family, that also includes all my friends and all beings. So the project to start the East Bay Meditation Center really came out of a longing um, to heal myself and to create a community that I could thrive in as well. It was sort of selfish in a way. <laughs> well, selfish. And I imagine you've had an impact on your community because do you feel like you've been able to welcome more diverse communities to the Dharma because of this this building out of the East Bay Meditation Center and, and some of the work that you're doing at Lotus Vine and, and talks that you give? Yeah, I really do feel like it's amazing to reach people. And I think us being, you know, taking the Dharma where the people are, you know, this idea of like, I like sort of like your podcast show, like right down to the sidewalk, right? We went right to the people. We were right in the middle of downtown Oakland on a street corner, right? How much closer could you get to people right off the BART train and the bus stop? And, you know, in the middle of it all, there we are with this beautiful community of uh, flowering, meditating right inside. And so I think in a lot of ways, we took all those barriers down, you know, it was all based on generosity based economics, no payment upfront, you just give what you can. It was all these things that we did very strategically. Um, 
that helped the Dharma to flourish in that area. And it, it's been amazing. Yeah, the people, all kinds of, we have Vietnamese groups, we have Spanish speakers, we have people of color, we have transgender groups, we have everything, you know, it's just an expression of our humanity, you know, all beings. And it's not without its challenges, though. You know, that came with some struggle to keep including more. So, yeah. you know, there were moments where I thought, I can't do it. I can't, I can't serve all beings, you know? So yeah. I did have moments where I had to grow. Well, that's inspiring to hear, I must say. <laughs> You're sort of speaking to something that feels very relevant in present time. When I hear you talk about how to be more inclusive and really deliberate about it, and yet what a struggle it is. You know, one of the, oh, I don't know, one of the things that psycho the psychology field gets picked on and certainly the spirit spiritual field gets picked on about is that are you really solving any of the big political and social problems going on by meditating or by doing any kind of growth work? And how do we, how do you think about that, that comment? Or how do we, how do we sort of face that real on the ground work? Yeah. And I get that comment and I get that question and I've had to work with that question in myself when I would go off on very long retreats you know, and all the activists would be left behind and the struggle and, and, you know, there I would be off in the woods meditating. I think the, you know, there's that piece of it that's really important around interconnectedness and that, you know, all of us doing our spiritual work, ending internally our own greed, hatred, and delusion is really part of the collective. It is an act of, um, a radical act to go off somewhere and be still, mm. to look at the mind, to unravel, to open the heart. Uh, we need people who are dialed in on that level in order to serve, in order to solve the problems. You, you know, they say in order to solve a problem, you can't approach it with the same mind that created it. Mm. So I do believe, but, but it's, a, it's a slow process, isn't it? It's a journey, mm -hmm. you know, and it's initially it can seem like, oh, we're not making any impact. But I believe that we are, I do. And I, I have a much more hopeful, um, optimistic side of all of this, that there's a movement happening and it's, the ground is still growing. The seeds are still being planted. Um, and one day it'll all sprout at the same time. That's my hope. Or slowly, who knows, you know? It's funny, even before you said ground and seed, I had this, as I was listening to you, this image of you going off into the forest on retreat, meditating, that what you're doing is you're creating the fertile soil for impact, right? Yes. You said we have to work with our greed, hatred, and delusion in order to have what I imagine is true impact, right? Because we have to have that fertile soil so that the impact isn't coming from ego or isn't coming from something that's going to harm the planet or harm or dehumanize other groups of people. Exactly, because there's been a lot of people doing a lot of good and with the mind that is also creating harm at the same time. And that's sort of the old paradigm, isn't it? To approach, you know, sort of the anti-work versus what we're for. Like I'm for peace, I'm for justice, I'm for generosity-based economies, I'm for, you know, healing the planet, I'm, I'm for reforestation. It's sort of the, the shift there is an important one sort of the inner, and it reflects our inner mind state. 
-hmm. Only good, you know, everything comes out of the roots, the seeds that we're planting for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a story in your book that also reminds me of, you know, going off to the forest. Like right after this last presidential election in the United States, when Donald Trump was elected, you were meditating when a riot broke out. (laughs) I know. Yes. (laughs) And so I'm just so curious to hear how this, this, I'm sort of using the fierce heart metaphor from your book, (laughs) how cultivating a fierce heart and sitting still while that's going on, how do you think that ripples out? Yeah, I mean, that was certainly an unplanned moment. I mean, we had the, uh, we had the <laughs> election, right? We didn't say, let's go meditate in the middle of a riot. You know, these things just happen. <laughs> you find yourself in these situations, and then you're like, okay, you know, um, all right, everybody. So it did happen. I, the election was on a Tuesday, and there I am. Um, I ended up having a schedule where for the next four days in a row, I was teaching huge evening classes and day-long classes in downtown Oakland at our center. So of course, and it just happened to be a Thursday night, the election was Tuesday, Thursday night comes, that was our regular night for communities of color. And there was 200 people piled in and everybody looked so upset. And as, um, so I'm, I'm trying to think of what, what can be inspiring and as we're meditating, right, I can hear helicopters and police yelling and it's getting noisier and, and then uh, and a volunteer. And it was so hot in the room. Literally, the heat was unbearable. So we had mm. opened some windows um, and the tear gas was coming in. Uh, mm. And so people were saying, wow. we need to shut down. And so what do I say in that moment? And, you know, I just relied on the deepest truth. Like this is, yes, this too is part of our journey, this moment in time right? This uncertainty or this, whatever these feelings are, let's just open to it. Let's just be there. Let's feel it. The sorrow, the rage, the confusion, the hurt, the, you know, whatever's here, let's just work with it. So something, I don't even, I don't even think I recorded myself that night. Um, but it was, it was, it helped. I know that it was like a bomb that night. And I, and for the next four days, I just gave a series of incredible teachings and I was certainly talking to myself because I was also really shaken. Yeah. Really in my core. And I thought, well, here we go. I can be with this, you know? This is a fierce heart time. If ever there is one, you know, I thought, yeah. well, I'm prepared for it. Let's let's just be here with and keep our hearts open. Let's not shut down. That seems to be this thread line, right? So what you're describing is feels like the Threadline of stories in in the book, where how can I metabolize this experience that might be excruciatingly painful, and learn and grow from it? And do, are you? I mean, do you ever get it wrong? Are you are you always this generous of spirit? Because <laughs> I know I'm not. Like, how do you? Is it is it that? You, I, I guess I am at a loss for words. I we tend to our comfort junkies. And you're talking mm-hmm. about being really uncomfortable and getting comfortable with being really uncomfortable. Yeah, it's hard. It's challenging. And I do have moments where I can get clobbered by something for a while, for a few weeks, or, you know, or, or get really thrown if something happens, or I'm going through some, a period of deep confusion. So I do at times get thrown um, less and less now, um, but I'm more interested in that, in that getting thrown, like what is happening? 
Mm-hmm. You know, what is this reactivity about? And it could take me some time to sort of gain my footing depending on the level of discomfort. You know, if we're on a 10, of course, initially I want to run like everyone or eat Netflix and chocolate and stay <laughs> hide out under the covers. But the thing is, I can't stay there long, right? There's something that starts knocking me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, let's get out of here. It's the human spirit wants to rise. Its nature is to sort of, and I know this sounds cheesy, but its nature is triumphant in a way. We, and it, it's like Maya Angelou or Dr. King or Nelson Mandela or, you know, don't we love the stories of the underdog? The people who have endured everything and still they rise, still they get up in the morning and still they're, you know, and, and so there's a way that I really believe that our difficult moments are aspects of purification that we have to go through on the spiritual path. It is our karmic tangles, for lack of a a better word. And also, if we can open to these shadowy times or painful moments, um, then we really do learn about our strength. And then it becomes sort of like our testimony, I guess. We carry, you know, that teaching with us. So our dark night becomes sort of becomes a, a platform in a way, something that the heart can speak about or we grow. So so yeah, it is hard. And sometimes I get really thrown, um, but it's never for very long anymore. I get back up, I get back on track and I open to it. Like, okay, this too is part of my, my healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just connecting the dots between Netflix and chocolate <laughs> yeah. versus cultivating um, and, and working with our greed, hatred and delusion that Netflix and chocolate, while we might need it, for small moments of time that actually sitting still with the feelings and metabolizing them are the things that ultimately, it sounds like the way you describe it, allow us to kind of almost feel the best parts of us in a way. Yeah. We discover something that we didn't know was there. We discover how strong we are and Netflix and chocolate can be a great buffer. So some people that need to go through that say, stay, stay there until you're ready to, mm-hmm. to, for the next step. Right, because sometimes you have to kind of galvanize this deeper strength to meet. Okay, this is something really big, or maybe you're in a huge transition, or ending a relationship, or there's an illness, or you've been betrayed, or you know, a huge dark night period, or a life shift, or some kind of inner collapse, and that needs a kind of delicacy. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it could be compassionate to stay in bed with your chocolate and Netflix, but it's just that at some point we have to rise up. We have to Mm. then go, okay. And we do by going through really intense things. And it seems like a cliche, right? My hardest, my hardest times have been my biggest breakthroughs. I can really say that now at my age now, looking back. And you know, that even includes my work in South America, working with plants and taking people on shamanic journeys, the hardest nights, the nights with the most intensity are usually the breakthrough night. Yeah. Right. Where we, we endure something, we learn something, we go to the underworld or go to the hell realms or, and then we come out of that. And there's this like, there's a wholeness there. If yeah. you don't let it shut you down in fear and bitterness, because that can happen where we fall to that. Mm. Um, so you have to stay awake and you have to stay aware um, and you can use it as like sort of fuel. 
Would you be willing to share some of the other healing modalities that have sort of become a part of your wellness practice? And I know that I'm from California, so I know what you mean by shamanic (laughs) journey, but some of our listeners may not know what you mean when you say shamanic journey. Yeah. So one of the aspects that started to come into my life or one, one part of the healing modality, and I was always very interested, you know, when I was young, I studied psychology. When I got into Buddhism and Hinduism, I was very open-minded to new thought. You know, I really, I resonate with wisdom in general. And um, I got very interested in going down to South America when I went through a period where I was healing some very deep trauma. And I thought I had resolved it all. You know, often we say that, oh, I've gotten over all that Uh stuff. (laughs) It's all done. Yeah, no problem. I've gone to therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, you haven't. Right. And we're like, well, how could this be coming up? It was 20 years ago or this. I worked on it. Well, we worked on levels of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and there's the really painful things, episodes are traumatic things that happen when we're young. You know, you could have cleared it from the mental level, but it's still in the physical body. It's still on the vibrational level and it's still in the emotional field. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can clear it one, one field, but then there's these other aspects there. Mm-hmm. And so I was on this very long retreat and I fell apart on the retreat. And in a way I couldn't be present with, and it scared me. You mm-hmm. know, I, I felt like whatever this is, I'm so upset, so destabilized. I don't, I, my practices weren't making sense. I was like, I can't be with this help mm-hmm. you know, to the universe. And so I ran into a friend of mine. I left the retreat, came back to California in a really bad state. And I ran into a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, dear friend of mine. And she disclosed to me, she said, well, you know what? I've been working with this plant that grows in the jungle. You're going to think it's crazy. But I've been drinking it over the last year or two in these ceremony, beautiful gatherings of other um, therapists up in the mountains in Northern California. And it has been so effective. And I want to share it with you. Mm. And so when you're, you know, when you're at rock bottom, you're wide open. That's the oh, great yeah. thing about being at the bottom. You're like, what? Does it work? <laughs> okay. Because you've tried it all, right? And you're like, okay. All you have left is your prayers in those mm. moments. So you're just praying to the cosmos, the divine. I send out a rescue boat, please. And so that's kind of how that was presented to me. So I went and I just, I understood more in that ceremony and working primarily with plant-based medicine um, and taken in a sacred way with a, there was a a shaman there and a really safe group of people and we were meditating and there was music. And I understood more about myself in that night than I had understood in years. And so that sparked my curiosity and I immediately started going to Peru and started going to the Amazon and uh, meeting indigenous healers, specifically interested in working with female maestras and learning about plant pharmacology, similar to how you would study Ayurvedic medicine or Mm -hmm. you would study Chinese medicine, you know, plants are alive. And so I was very interested in Amazonian plants and um, that has sparked a lifelong pathway opening up for me now of taking groups down to the jungle merging Buddhism and working with plant spirit medicine and um, doing really deep healing work because I was able to really move through so much of my trauma Mm. um, and get to a much better place much quicker. 
Mm. So when I say shamanism, that's kind of what I'm referring to, but there's also degrees and different schools of shamanism. Native Americans have a, a channel. There could be also uh, like um, Siberian shaman. You know, there's a lot of different aspects of it. Mm. But what we mean is working between worlds, working on the energetic levels. Mm. Yeah, this is beautiful. As you integrate pieces from other cultures, right? How mm-hmm. is it that you are ginger and gentle of the roots of this particular teaching that's not from your native culture? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, everything I have utilized that I have followed lineages, rather it's the Buddhist lineage, wasn't my, you know, um, I wasn't born into that. I was exposed to it and felt a deep affection. And I try my best, even with the the Buddhist lineage and the Amazonian lineage, to honor the tradition, Mm. to honor the roots of it. Mm -hmm. And and that's like, I think that's one thing that drew me to going and working with the indigenous people, learning it from that perspective first, growing, seeping myself in that knowledge. I even spent a year living in the jungle, apprenticing, you know, deep in the forest, learning how plants are healing, how, how to help people with treatment how to understand um, more about this, this process of the shamanic side and energy. And so I think the one way that I honor it is learning from the source and then mm. honoring that, just like with the Dharma, you know, going, understanding the lineage and being really interested. So studying with Tibetan teachers and understanding from that cultural place. Um, and then understanding that everything that we're doing, we're borrowing, you know? Mm. <laughs> I think that's really, that's really powerful what you say, because I think we don't do that a lot, but there's something very potent when I hear you say that, that what you're doing is you're recognizing and, and really, I almost imagine you having a practice of honoring. I mean, I can almost see you bowing. You know, you were talking about that in the book of the, the prostations that you did, what it was a thousand and eight or something. There's a kind of um, reverence that kind of holds us all together so that we know where we come from. But you also use the word lineage a lot in, in this book and it, in a place where we're just a big multicultural world where sometimes we don't even know where we come from. There's something that feels very um, juicy when you, when you use that word and talk about going to the source and, and learning from the source in a way. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have a weird question for you. How does all this, like, you know, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you know, you take a shower, you drive car. I mean, how does this work <laughs> impact your like regular going on being day-to-day living? All this work that you've done, done with yourself, how does it change the way you live your day-to-day life? Hmm, that's a really great question. I mean, one of the things that has always been a little bit interesting, especially as of late, is I live halfway between Peru and the U.S. Okay. So I'm in North America and it has kind of one energy. And then I'm in the America, but the South of America, (laughs) you know, South America. And those are culturally very different. And I sort of have two worlds. So when I'm coming back here, I'm really doing the same practices that I always do. I get up, I take some time to do a little practice. I go to yoga class. Yoga is a really big part of my life right now. It helps me ground here, integrate here. Um, and so I'm doing the same awareness practices that I always do. I'm always beginning again, sitting and following my breath, right? Feeling my emotions, what's happening, planning my day, 
remembering bodhicitta. I think as far as my overall change that I have seen the most uh, growth around is this quality of focusing everything on the benefit of all beings. Mm. That's sort of a very deep seed in me. And so I reflect on that a lot through the day, how I divide up my time. I have several different projects that I'm working on. So I work a lot, but I try to always have that, that mind state and that, that quality has been growing in me. And so I think that's a big change, but, but mostly it's doing the practices that I always do practicing Mm -hmm. kindness, right? How am I showing up, listening to others? It's really simple. It's the same practices that I was introduced to at the very beginning. I just keep honing those. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. You know, I wanted to ask you one more question and then we'll have a little ritual for how we complete. We are all about human connection. And in a way, what I'm hearing from you are things that we at Sidewalk Talk can employ to help our hearts be fiercer when we're sitting on the sidewalk where we might be challenged. How have you brought the, I mean, how have these practices impacted the way you relate or do they? I imagine they do. Yeah, you know, um, everything changes how we relate. You know, in a way, when our heart is open, we relate so much more with so much more joy, Mm. right? So for me, a lot of the dialogues that I have with people are about humor. They're laughing. How are you? You know, it's like connecting on that human level. So it's a lot about listening, but there's also something about finding the joy in it that everything can get really, really heavy. But at the same time, there could be this joy of just being together and looking in each other's eyes and being like, what a ride, huh? Here we are. (laughs) You know, we have this moment, destiny, and we're sitting together, you know, you and me having this moment. And there's something that I want to encourage in in these times that feel so intense and so contracted for so many, Mm. that we don't forget the laughter, Mm. that we don't forget that a lot of this is, you know, the divine comedy of it all. And Mm. to find that joy. So a lot of the conversations that I would have in Oakland, in downtown Oakland, with people who are coming to my classes or meeting me after classes or walking around the cityscape, you know, would be finding humor and us having a shared moment of just laughing at whatever, our, our dramas, our attachments, you know, like, oh, like it's, here we are again, you know, the wheel again, or we're stuck in this thing again. So I think for a lot of us, it's to take time on that sidewalk to find a moment of joy, find some humor in that connection, look at the person together and just laugh about some aspect of the whole, the whole journey of all of it, you know. Boy, did you take that in a different direction than I thought you were. That's, that was awesome. As you know, you, you're, you're, you're talking about like developing a fierce heart in these really hard moments. And then you're saying, right. and then I'm going to laugh at the ridiculousness of it all. <laughs> well, that's what allows you. You know, I, I spend a lot of time. Um, I get a great privilege of having one of my main mentors be Alice Walker. Mm. And she just came um, to one of my retreats in Peru. And, you know, she was talking about the civil rights movement, you know, when she was, you know, registering voters in the South and out there in the Ku Klux Klan and was leaving hate mail and, and, you know, people were being killed. This was real. 
And she said, you know, <clears throat> they'd be out there registering all these black voters. It was during Mississippi Freedom Summer. She was there. And she said, you know, at the end of the day, we would have these parties and we would laugh and dance and this joy would come. And she said, I didn't really care, you know, if I lived or died, no one was going to steal my joy because mm -hmm. that was what kept us going. So the fierce heart is also the heart that in the midst of it can also let go of it all and see this as a moment in time of pain and confusion, but but also there's this joy undercurrent. That's really what gives you the capacity to be fierce, right? Is that you have this, this faith and this joy under it. Um, so, so the ability to connect to that. Otherwise, if it's, it, it just gets too heavy, you know? I love that. Yeah, so the fierceness is also the humor. I you just know? love, I just love it so much, Spring. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, makes me so happy. Makes me feel a little bit okay too, because I'm very silly. So I'm like, oh, we can be silly in Buddhism. I love you this. can be very silly. My Tibetan teachers are, you know, are hysterically funny. And people often say that when I would teach in Oakland, I would kind of have this wacky sense of humor. Even when I wasn't trying, everyone would be <laughs> laughing, and that would be medicine. That would be. They would be like, you're right. Oh my god, you know. And it would be like, let's lighten up a little, everyone. We know it's epic. We know the struggle is real, <laughs> but let's also laugh and remember. And, and that is really important because we're in this for the long haul. This so is it, a long path. So I think book number two is going to be called The Silly Heart. Is that, is that what we're saying? <laughs> Maybe. You know, I haven't titled it yet, but it will have moments of humor. And anyone who knows me and talks to me often says, like, you you know, you have this way of talking about these super deep things with this lightness of heart. And that mm. allows me to get very close to intensity in myself and others. It allows me to get in those mm. shamanic moments and hold space because I can also let it go. Right. Oh, this is making so much more sense to me now. You're, I'm understanding something more deeply than I have before. So it's great. So listen, oh, I, know, I know we're, we're near the end of time. And so Whenever I, we have a guest on, we invite you to speak directly to the 7,000 volunteers. And so this is for you to speak to all of them who will be listening. And, and what piece of wisdom or what wish would you, would you offer to them? Yeah, I think my wish would be, in addition to the joy piece, would be to keep being courageous. Yeah, and keep being present in your body while you're having these moments of dialogue with people. And stay open to the magic of those moments. And I'm sure they are. Everyone probably around the world that you're working with has uh, probably so many beautiful stories. But to just stay fearless, let things unfold. You know, the universe is in control. Mm -hmm. And there's a way that when we just open fully and let go of any need to control anything and we're, we're just in the moment with boundaries, of course. Um, but we, we sort of we let go into that. So the sense of being really fearless with it, allow yourself to, to be intimate with people, to see them, to look in their eyes um, and allow yourself to be seen. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for your generous time. And thank you for all the work that you do in the world. You are definitely an inspiration spring. Oh, thank you, Tracy, and you as well. And may your project, may this project thrive and grow and be a benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you. All thank right. you. Bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.